go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, and we will take back up where we left off last week. Now, uh, for those of you, if you weren't here uh, last week, uh, we had, wasn't that just an amazing scripture? Wasn't that just an amazing text? If you, if you weren't here, I would, you know, I don't usually like, like, hey, listen to my messages. But it's like, it's not the message, it's the text. It's what's in that text is absolutely phenomenal. It is just this most beautiful declaration of God's love for us. His, just the extravagance of his love for us. And not only that, but even the reckless nature of God's love for us. And it is powerful. I mean, it was so, like, it floored me just studying it and even just trying to share the message. Like, I was in tears throughout the thing and actually... When looking at, see, I get to see everybody's faces during it, and sometimes people are like this, and sometimes people are like this, and sometimes people are like this. You know, there, there's like, there's different looks. And, you know, last week, I mean, just from the text that we were looking at, it's like there was a good, at least, a bare minimum of five people through almost the whole study that were wiping their eyes. Just because of, like, w- when you're confronted with the love of Jesus Christ and the recklessness, how he put himself in harm's way for us. Right, when, that, that he would do that for us, it, it, it's, it's inspiring and it's, it, it just makes us stand in awe. And, and then not only that, but then we also had the example of that reciprocating love now of Mary as she gave everything that she had, the most, probably the most valuable possession that she owned, that, that flask of spikenard, and how she, it, you know, following Jesus' example, she broke her livelihood and poured it out over Jesus to anoint him for his burial. And, and what, a, what an extravagant, what a reckless form of worship in response to the love of God in her life. And like you, we look at that, we just go like, wow. And, and we're, we, we stand in awe of it. And, and I said it, and a lot of you said it too. It's like, man, I want that kind of worship. Right? I want to worship like that. I, I want to be able to like say, hey, you know what? If the Lord wants my house, he can have my house and put it on the market and sell it and boom. And who cares? Right? If, if I have to live in a little apartment, great. You know, so what? If the Lord obviously puts it on your heart and that's your... But like, I want to be willing. Now, I'm not saying that each and every one of us have to do something like that. But I want the heart that I would be willing to do that. Right? That, that the thought would even come into my mind. And it's like, gosh, you know, that, that, that is an amazing love. And it's something that... It, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But around these two demonstrations of love that we saw, right, whether it be Jesus and he stayed, right, though he was telling his disciples, hey, in two days is the Passover and the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and, and, and crucified, right? Even though he knew those things and he knew what crucifixion was. There's people, you know, in any given day of the week, there are thieves crucified along the streets, you know, in, in Roman territories. Everybody was familiar with crucifixion. Okay, he knew and yet he stayed. And yet within the midst of that, you had the the high priest and you have those guys. And what were they doing? They were plotting at the same time that he was like telling his disciples, hey, you know what? I'm going to be betrayed two days and then I'm going to be crucified. At that same time, we see the persecution. We see the hatred. We see just the the violence and the brutality in the hearts of the high priest and and the the religious elite of of his day. And we see them plotting and scheming of how they could not just like get rid of him or shame him or anything like that, but they wanted to kill him right they wanted to literally beat him and, and what we will see in just you know a, a very short time because we're, we're almost to the crucifixion now 
right? We're going to see just the hatred within their hearts and just how like they're gnashing their teeth at him and how, you know, the hatred that is within them overflows and we see it and they take it out on Christ and on his body. Right? We're going to see that. And we kind of have like a little foreshadowing of it there. And then not only that, then you move to Mary's worship. And as she begins to, you know, just share this, you know, free worship without, you know, anything holding it back. And she's, you know, just giving this extravagant gift to her Lord. And then what, what do we see around that act of worship as well, around that act of love? Right, we saw Judas specifically, and then the disciples beginning to murmur and attack her and say, why this waste? As if worshiping God could be a waste. Right, but, but they, they began to chide her and come against her and resisted her because of this act that she did for the Lord. Right, and, and so surrounding both of these pictures of love, there is, there is also this violence and there's this, this antagonism that is going on because, you know, anytime any one of us stands for the Lord, anytime any one of us stands and praises God and gives glory to God and worships God and loves God, guess what's going to happen? The enemy of God is going to come and he's going to resist it. And sometimes that even happens through fellow believers, right? As what happened with Mary. And uh, this week, you know, we were on vacation and um, one of the movies that were in the, the, the beach house that we were staying at um, was The Hiding Place, you know, Corey Timboom's story. And if you guys uh, haven't seen it, it's a fantastic movie. Now, it was made in 1975, and I kind of teased Heidi because she's like, hey, let's watch this. I'm like, and she's like, it's made in 1975. I'm like, really? Was anything good out of 1975, right? Kind of joking. But, but we ended up watching it, and it's like, you know what? It is a phenomenal movie, right? It is a powerful movie. And if you guys aren't familiar with Corey Timboom, you know, she's basically she, her dad, her brother, her, her, um, um, her sister, and there was somebody else, an uncle, and... Um, and a nephew who were all born again believers, loved the Lord Jesus Christ, served him with all their heart. And like when the Nazi Germany started taking over, right? And and like the Jews were having to wear the bands, like the dad actually went, even though he wasn't Jewish, he went and got one of the bands and he wore the bands that the the Jews had to wear and all that. And then when um, like the, the Nazi Germany started stepping up their game and like started really persecuting the Jews and taking them, sending them to concentration camps, their family began uh, taking people in. They were an underground. They, they, they began, they, they built like a false wall in their house and they would hide Jews there and, and they would you know, protect them from the hatred of, of Nazi Germany. And there's a scene in that movie that just it, like, it breaks your heart. It's like the, it's the scene that twists your stomach more than the concentration camp, more than the scabies or, or the fleas or anything like that. It's towards the beginning and a pastor of the church comes and he and he's talking to them and and they they have this jewish baby that had been delivered to them and and the pastor's like what are you doing don't you know what can happen if they catch you with this jewish baby you need to just give it up you need to give this baby back to the nazis it's like what are you saying pastor and and in the end they're like if they catch you you know they're they're gonna do you know what they're gonna do to you and then they're saying well hey you know what you live in the country pastor you take the baby there there's not going to be all the raids and things like that there are here in the city take the baby go into the into the country and 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 protect the baby it'll be safe you'll be safe he goes i can't risk that he goes "Do, do you know what they'll do to my family if they find out he goes no and then his counsel, his pastoral counsel, was that they give the baby back to the Nazi Germany. And he left. And you just go like, oh my goodness. How is that even possible? And Corey like, said in the movie, she's just like, how can that man call himself a Christian? 
right? This is the pastor of their church. And so we're going to see something now this morning. And, you know, last week we had the high, high, and today we're going to have, uh, this is, it's more of a challenging message. Last week it was challenging and like, man, I want to love like that. I want to do more. I want to give of myself more. But today we have a, another reality, a, a reality that is always at work. It, it is always warring against that spirit that would have us live and love recklessly like we saw last week. That there is, there is also something else that is at work in us every single day day of our lives and we know it aren't we you guys already know i'm sure you, you, you like it's starting to like come into clarity you know what i'm going to be talking about today right there's that there's that part of us that though the spirit of god moves in our hearts and and, and we want to live recklessly we want to to love freely and, and to give of ourselves yet part of us wants to hold back part of us wants to say no 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 no. what about me what about mine right and that's what we're going to be looking at today we're, we're going to be seeing the sin nature at work in, in one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot. And the, the, the message this morning is entitled, entitled, Is It I? Is It I? And, and really what he's asking, because Jesus is, he's declaring, one of you is going to betray me today. You know, one of you is going to do this. And all the disciples were asking, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And finally Judas asks, is it I? And Judas already knew that it was. And see, there is that thing at work within him. Something changed the heart of Judas that, that poisoned him and twisted him. And something went wrong in Judas. And it's important that we touch on it. it it'd be really easy to glance over. It's like, oh, no, no, on the tales of, of the great love that we looked at last week, just to kind of move on over and just keep going. But it's like, no, this is a reality that is in with all of us. Because the old nature, the old man is what the Bible calls it, is still within us. Though the Holy Spirit has now come in, now there's a war in every single one of our hearts between the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist, between the, the, the fleshly nature, the carnal man, and they're always at war with one another, fighting for dominance in your heart. And so we, we need to understand these things. We need to be able to put our finger on them, and we need to recognize the areas within our own lives that these things have shown themselves. And, and the areas where the old man is strong, we need to starve him. We need to beat him into submission, and we need to crucify him. So, that being said, let's take a look at the text. We're going to begin at verse 14, and uh, we're going to go all the way through, gosh, 24, I think it's through 24. So, um, join with me in chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. 
But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. Lord Jesus, Lord, we take these grave words to heart. And Lord, we pray that you would minister them to our hearts, Lord, for there is a part of us. The spirit of Antichrist lives in every man, woman, and child on this earth. And yet your spirit is greater still. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us. Teach us, Lord, of of our own condition. And help us to overcome it, Lord. That this would not be said of us. That we would never, ever betray you, Lord, but that we will serve you and walk with you all the days of our life. Be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you guys uh, to look back at verse 14, and specifically the very first uh, little segment of the sentence. Then one of the twelve. Right, that says so much. To be one of the twelve. I mean, you think about these men. How many of you guys would give anything to actually go back into that day and live with Jesus on earth for three and a half years? What would you give to be in his presence, to hear the sound of his voice, to hear the inflection of the Sermon on the Mount as he gave it, to hear those stories by the campfire, not, not the big sermons when he's out there you're talking to, to 10,000 people or 20,000 people, but when he's sitting there just with you and your friends and he's ministering to you and he's sharing his heart with you, he's sharing eternity to you and he's opening the kingdom of heaven to you, he's opening the eyes of your understanding can you imagine that can you imagine coming up and in the way that we come to like on a sunday morning you come up and you greet each other you give each other a hug can you imagine hugging the son of god right can you imagine looking into the depth of his eyes right it says that you know the eyes are the window of the soul can you imagine looking to, into his eyes and seeing eternity right wow what an amazing thing and here is one of the twelve Right, One of the twelve, one of the men who had been given the authority of an apostle, he was chosen by God. Think about that. right? Because it says that Jesus went up onto a mountain and he fasted and he prayed. And then when he came down from the mountain, what did he do? He chose the twelve. Right? He chose his apostles. Right? He called each one of them by name. He said, come and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. Right, each one in a very special and personal way, he walked to them and he, and he and he grabbed a hold of their hearts and he says, "Come on, come with me, turn away from the things of of this world and follow me, and I will open to you the kingdom of heaven." And Judas was one of those. And you think, oh well, you know, he wasn't really a believer. You know, he was he you know he was foreordained, and yes, he was. It was prophesied that he would do what he is going to do. But you know what? The Spirit of God came on him. He was casting out demons with the rest, with the 12 and then with the 70. Right? He had the authority over it. He was healing people. He had the signs of, the, of, of an apostle followed him. Right? You see that actually in uh, Paul's writings. Remember he talks about, you know, did not the signs of the apostle, were they not worked through me? Right? Doing the miracles and all those things, like the strange miracles. Healing people, doing all sorts of stuff, right? Judas was one of the apostles, and you think, oh, no, 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 he wasn't really one of the apostles. Well, then Peter in Acts says, hey, you know what? You know, the, 
there has to be 12 apostles and somebody has to replace Judas. He was one of the apostles. And so, you know, we need to, and that's why they did the, the whole lot thing and, and Matthias was chosen. Remember, Judas was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a sent one. He had been given a mission, right? He had been given authority and power and the, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God had called him to do. He had partaken of that ministry. He had tasted of the word of God. He had spent time with Jesus. He was there. I mean, think about the devotion life. Can you imagine? It's like, you know, we, we have to come and we have to read our Bible and, and sit there and, and pray and like, Lord, and try to clear our mind of, of all this stuff. You know, Judas, all he had to do is look up and say, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus would answer, right? Nobody had an interaction with God like that, except for Moses, the friend of God, right? Moses was the only one before the apostles where the son of God, where God himself would come and speak to them plainly, not through dreams and visions and, uh, and like that still small voice, but to speak plainly as we do with a friend. And Judas had that. Right? Judas was one of the twelve, and he had a great responsibility. He had a great knowledge of who God was. He knew Jesus. He had seen the miracles. He had experienced it all. He was in the boat when Jesus came walking across the water. He was there when Jesus stilled the sea. He was there when he saw lepers being healed, cleansed in a moment. Right? He was there for all of it. He was one of the twelve. Judas Iscariot. And what do we see? What's this? Right after this example of Mary giving this incredible gift of worship, Judas leaves. And remember, it said he was indignant about it, right? And he leaves and says that he went to the chief priest. Now, listen, they didn't come to him. It wasn't that he was being tempted. It wasn't like, oh, these priests were like, hey, you know what? Coming to each of the, of the apostles, you know, privately saying, hey, I'll give you a, a, a you know, a Bentley if you, if you follow me. Hey, I'll, I'll do this. I'll set you up in a good house. You know, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. We'll cover it. You know, we'll absolve your sins or things like, no, nothing. Right? They weren't doing that. You know, they were plotting, like, how could we get in? How could we get in? How could we do this? They were wanting to, but, but they didn't know how to get into the inner circle. They didn't know how to get Jesus, right? They've been trying for nearly three and a half years now to, to, to fumble him and foil him, catch him in his words, discredit him before the, the, the population of Jerusalem. But they couldn't, right? They were desperate. But you know what? They didn't have to because, see, Judas went looking for them, right? Judas went looking for them. And that's, that's an amazing thing. One of the 12, right? One of the 12 and, and the other, the, the rest of the 12, right? They would all give their lives gladly for Jesus. They all were crucified, stoned to death, heads chopped off. Every single one of them, John was boiled in oil and then, then exiled because it didn't work. Ouch, right? Tempura is great, but man, I don't want to be it, Right? You know, like in the end, it's like they were all willing to lay down everything for Jesus, but not Judas. Judas is like, no, what can I get? And that is a, that is a, an astounding thing. And, and the more you think and meditate on Judas, the more it should just like turn your stomach because like of who he was, what he knew, what he experienced, Right? He was like that pastor on the hiding place. It's like, this is a pastor who's supposed to love, who's supposed to exhibit the love of Jesus Christ. And yet he's just like, no, 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 fend for yourself, save yourself. Which is exactly the opposite of the message of Jesus Christ. How can you be a pastor and have that message? Right? In the same sense, Judas, it's like, Judas, what? You went to them? 
You know, Jesus found, you know, Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified and he stayed. Judas, you know, got rebuked by Jesus like, hey, you know what? I'm out of here. Like, see the difference. And then look what he says. Like, I mean, what he asks them, like reveals what is in his heart so clearly. He says, what are you willing to give me? Right? What are you willing to give me? Like, think about that. Yeah, I couldn't help it as I was looking at this. It's like, you know, Judas was denied Mary's money really in the end, right? He was upset because she broke the vial and he says, why this waste? And in John's gospel, he says that Judas wasn't really concerned about the poor. It's because he held the money bag and he was stealing money from, from the poor. And just a little side thought, how much of the Lord's money did Jesus allow him to steal knowing that he was stealing? Interesting thought. But nevertheless, he was denied Mary's money and... Um, he was angry. What, what's he trying to do now? He's trying to get his cut. When he, when he betrayed Jesus, did he betray Jesus for like, like a talent of silver, a talent of gold? Was it some exorbitant fee? No, he didn't even, honestly, he didn't even get as much as Mary's alabaster flask was worth. 30 pieces of silver isn't that, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a goodly amount of money, but it's not that much money. And so it's not like Judas was like, oh, I'm going to be wealthy now. I'm in the money. No, no, no. It wasn't that at all. It really, I don't think it was even really that much about the money. Maybe a little bit, but we'll get to that in a second. You know, in Matthew 26, 8, um, you know, this was the, 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 the reviling Mary for it, you know, and it was just, and he was indignant, right? And that word is important. You know, why this waste? What is indignant? It's a feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. Think about that. Who was being treated in a very nice way? It wasn't Mary. It was Jesus. Judas looked at Jesus and he looked at this extravagant gift. And he was, all I could say is my conjecture is he had the same heart in him as Haman. You guys remember Haman from Esther? Right? Remember that story and how when um, he came before the king and the king's like, hey, I have this, this servant that I want to, you know, bless and do great things for. And he thought he was talking about him. He's like, ooh. And so like, do this and this and this and this and this. Of course he wants to, to minister to me. And, and, and this, that same heart is in Judas where it's like, you know, he sees this great act of like, wow. And he's like, that's not fair. I want it. Can you think of somebody else who had that same heart? Remember Satan? Right? Well, he wasn't always called Satan, was he? He used to be called Lucifer, son of the morning. He was the anointed cherub of God. He still is, actually. It's an, we can talk about that later. Right? He's the anointed cherub of God, and yet it wasn't enough. He wanted the worship. He wanted to be celebrated. He wanted to be magnified. He wanted to be glorified like God. Right? And we see that here working in Judas. It's not fair. Why this waste? I want it. I want it. Judas was not content with the untold bounty of the riches of heaven, the riches of Christ. Why? I mean, think about that. I mean, like the question he asked the high priest, he's like, what are you willing to give me? They're like, 30 pieces of silver, done. 30 pieces of silver. What did Christ offer Judas? What did Jesus offer Judas? The kingdom, everything, the universe, to be a king, a priest, a ruler who would reign with Christ on earth to rule the world. Angels are going to be in, un, under his dominion. Right? He's giving him everything, eternal life, peace, 
with God, friendship with God. Right? He offered him everything. The Holy Spirit of God indwelling him. He offered him everything. And it's like, why didn't he see it? You know, why, why would he look at that and just be like, meh? Because he had to wait for them, I think. Think about it. He had to wait for them. He couldn't have it now. Right? It, it, it was deferred gratification. It was one day. Right, when we think about the hope of heaven, is it like, yeah, now, granted, there, there's, there's little glimpses of heaven today. Yes, the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, right? We get to see the operation of the Holy Spirit moving in our body, like, the body of Christ, that is, right? You know, but, you know, we see little glimpses of heaven. We have opportunities when we can love one another with that agape love, and other times when people love us with that agape love. And yet, for the most part, the, the, the promises of heaven are for tomorrow, Right? They're not today. They're not here. They're not now. We don't hear the actual audible voice of God. Well, not very often. Some people do every once in a while. You hear little stories of it off and on. Right? But for the most part, no. We don't see his face. We don't touch him. Right? We don't worship in the presence of the angels, at least that we're aware of. Right? It's not there. It's something that we, it's a hope that we hold on to. And it's not an empty hope. It's a reality. It's something that is, is sure but it's still something that we have to wait for. And sometimes, admit it, sometimes that hope can kind of fade out of your consciousness and you can think, well, what about my circumstance now? What about my living condition now? What about my comfort? And what about, you know, I want my kids to go to a good college. I want this and I want this and I want this. I want, right? And we can turn away from what God has given us freely and, and, and the plan that he has for us because it's like, no, 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 I want. I want something now. No, no, Lord, I, I, I know tomorrow and then and there and, and, that one, and one day the trumpet will sound. But you know what? What about now? Lord, don't you know I have to feed my family now? And, and really in the end, you know, that, that was Judas' complaint. It's like God had promised him everything and demonstrated that he was capable of delivering everything. And yet still, he goes to the chief priest and he's like, what are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me? Gosh, what are you willing to give me for my soul is really what he's asking. He doesn't know it. He doesn't realize it. He goes, what are you willing to give in exchange for my soul? I think Jesus asked that question, didn't he? What is a man willing to give for, in exchange for his soul? For, Ju- for Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver cheap gave it cheap some people a lot cheaper images on a screen that you can't really touch right people are willing to give up their soul for a lot of things he says if i deliver them to you it says and they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver now that 30 pieces of silver is a little trigger point for us it's just something that god wants you to recognize and understand that god knew jesus knew exactly what was going to happen remember how jesus throughout uh, the gospel he's been he's been like talking about how he's going to be delivered how he's going to be betrayed how, he, how the son of man is going to be given over and crucified you know he keeps saying it and the disciples are uncomfortable every time he says it but they don't really get it except for mary she's the only one who got it everybody else is like what are you saying rabbi i don't get it uh, i don't know But he said it again and again and again. Well, this is one of those areas where Jesus knew, he foreknew, he understood what was going to happen. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 10 through 13, uh, write it down, look it up later, or you can flip there if you're fast. Um, In verse 10 it says, this is God speaking. And he says, and I took my staff, which is named beauty, 
and cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages and if not refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it, threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Okay, this is a very detailed prophecy of something that was going to happen. Okay, basically, here's what happened. Judas betrayed, you know, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then later he regretted it. He went back to the high priest, and we'll see this later. He goes back to the high priest. He throws it down and says, I betrayed innocent blood. The high priest is like, what's that to us? And Judas goes out and hangs himself, right? Commits suicide. He's gone. Okay, the high priest now looks at this and, and look at their hypocrisy and their, 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 their religion, and it's disgusting. It disgusts me. They look at this money and they say, we can't put this into the treasuries of the house of the Lord because it's blood money. It's the blood money that they spent, that they gave him. And nevertheless, this is their hypocrisy. It's blood money. We can't put it back. We pulled it out of the vault of the Lord to kill this person. But we can't put it back in because it's technically blood money now. See the religion involved here? And they said, so what are we going to do with it? Okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, and, and they went and they bought a potter's field. Right? A potter's field is like a, you know, a guy who throws pottery. And all the broken pieces they throw, and, and they just cast out. And what it is, because there's so much, you know, this, this broken pottery all through the soil. It's not good for anything. You can't, you can't, you know, plant plants there you can't do anything there so what they do is they they use it as like a graveyard and they bury strangers in it people that they don't know right so as people die in the city you don't know who it is okay put them in the potter's field there they go that's what they did well in zechariah chapter 11 that's exactly what the lord is saying and it's in this day it's as christ is being betrayed it's as the nation of israel is rejecting and murdering god that the covenant between god and israel was broken right this is the day Right, because the Old Testament actually prophesied of the day that the, the Old Testament, the, the covenant of the law, was going to be annulled. Do you know that? It's not a New Testament idea. It's actually from the Old Testament. God said, I will no longer, you know, basically, I, I won't come to you guys through the commandments that are written on stone. He says, but I will write my commandments on the tablets of men's hearts. It's the new covenant. Okay? And, and so this is the day. And God, with stunning accuracy, gives exactly the amount that Jesus was going to be betrayed for and how that money was going to be given and then given back and then, be, and then to be given to the potter. Right? We follow the, the, the course of this silver. Okay? Pretty amazing. He says, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. See, first he seeks out the high priest. What will you give me? And now he is literally Judas on the inside. One of the 12 is with Jesus, hearing his stories, hearing his heart, listening to him. And Judas is like, I'm going to, I'm going to betray him. I'm going to find a way to deliver this man into the hands of his enemy. It would be like a person who was in the Nazi Germany saying, I'm going to, this person whom, who has taken care of me, taken me in, given me so much, given of himself to me, I'm going to find the right opportunity when I can give him to the Nazis, right? Because these men hated Jesus just as much as Hitler hated the Jews. Okay. They hated him. And Judas knew that. He knew what he was doing when he betrayed Jesus. So um, a question that I had is, you know, like, gosh, what happened to harden Judas' heart so much that he would even seek out opportunities to hand Jesus over to his enemies? 
right? I, I couldn't help but to think of the parable of the soils. You guys remember it? Luke chapter 8, um, at verse 14, it says, you know, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. That's Judas, Right here is a man, the word of God, planted, implanted into his heart. Jesus called him. He went. He left everything. He followed Jesus for three and a half years. But then the cares of this world, right, riches and pleasures of life. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus was basically homeless, wasn't he? Right. Jesus started thinking about his retirement plan. Lord, if I follow you, you know, hey, all I see is we're sleeping outside a lot and we're eating real basic stuff, bread and fish, like. Lord, I've got fancier taste than that. You know, in the end, the, his cares for the world began to choke out the love of God in him. It began to cause the word of God, which had implanted in his heart, to become choked out and unfruitful. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Right? It caused his heart to grow cold. In Proverbs sixteen eighteen, it's one of the most misquoted um, proverbs and sections of scripture uh that there is in the whole bible pride goes before right right it doesn't go before holy spirit it's not pride goes before a fall it's pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall right not only was judas you know he, he began to be caught up in the things of the world the pleasures the riches you know those things and began to, to choke out the fruit but he was also we see it remember he was indignant at mary and he was proud and, and he was you know he, he, we actually see him uh here at the at the last supper that we're getting ready to get to right he's actually sitting in the seat of honor right he's sitting at jesus right hand it's like gosh did he put himself in that i wonder Right, you have Peter, James, and John. They get all the attention. Jesus takes them up on the mount, separate. They get to see people being raised from the dead and all that kind of stuff. Was Judas jealous? Was he like Satan? Where Satan is like, why does God get all the glory? I want some glory too. I know, I'll hold the money bag. That's an important position. Right, did he seat himself there at Jesus' right hand? I don't know. But it seems as though it was. Right? Was he always looking at what others had? What is, was he ever content with what God gave him? Because I don't know about you guys. Do you guys feel like you're God's favorite? Do you ever feel that way? I do. It's, it's an ongoing joke. It's been a joke for me and, and, and Heidi for a really long time. Joey kind of took up on it too. But I always, I, I've always said, and I jokingly say it, but I'm, I'm actually, I mean it too. It's like, you know, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. And you know what? Every single person who has encountered God should have that same feeling. And if you think, okay, pastor, show me scriptural evidence for that. John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Not all them, but the one who Jesus loved. Like he was identifying himself as different than them. I am the one that Jesus loved, okay? We should all have that same thing. But was he content with the love that Christ poured onto him? How many evenings did Jesus minister to Judas? Right, just pouring into him, you know, talking to him, helping him overcome his fears, his anxieties, his anger. Kind of like Cain. Remember, God said, "Hey, sin is crouching at the door of your heart." He said, "And it wants to have mastery over you, but you must have mastery over it." How many times had Jesus said that to Judas? I will not believe and cannot believe that Jesus chose him to betray him specifically for the reason and, and treated him like some kind of like. Mm. I bet you, and I, and I have evidence for it, in the Last Supper when he washed Judas' feet, 
that Jesus loved him and gave him every opportunity to be the man God had chosen him to be. But Jesus, uh, Judas chose otherwise. But you know what? I, I, I think it's very probable that it was Jesus' open rebuke of Judas, right? As Mary poured out the flask, as she demonstrated her reckless love for Jesus Christ, and then as Judas was indignant and angry, thinking, unfair, unfair, and then as he began to rile the other disciples against her, when Jesus openly rebuked Judas, like something snapped inside of him. It's, it's conjecture, mind you, but it's like it's a reasonable conjecture. Right, because it's right after that that he goes out to betray him. Right, it's right after that moment. And, and think about this, Judas is always looking for position. Right, even when he betrays Jesus. Remember how he comes and he betrays him with a kiss? Right, deceitful or the, the um, what is it? Uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Right? He goes and he kisses. That's that deceitful kiss. But in the end, it's like, why did Judas kiss Jesus to betray him? Why didn't he just walk up with the soldiers and go, there he is? Why didn't he do that? Because he was still wanting position with, his, with the other disciples. Hey, I get Jesus out of the way, and maybe I'll be in charge. I am the treasurer after all. Right? He was trying to keep face with, his, with the disciples. So he comes up to him like he was just walking up to him. Hey, oh, the, the Romans, where do they come from? Like that's really the kind of scene that we see. Okay? But how could he do this? How could he betray Jesus? Right? How could he do it? Was he trying to force Jesus to overthrow the Romans right now? Have you heard that conjecture before? Anybody heard that one? Right? Oh, you know, Judas, he, you know, he, he, he was impatient for Jesus to, to get the kingdom to come. And, and so he was trying to like force Jesus' hand. I highly doubt that. Contextually speaking, I highly doubt that. There's no way. So why? How was he capable of doing this? He was angry. He was mad at Jesus. How many of you, when you've been mad at somebody, have said something or done something that you regretted later? So did Judas. He comes back with the silver, throws it down, regretted it. He was angry at Jesus, right? He was angry. See, when we are angry, we are capable of horrific deeds when we are given over to our wrath, especially when we are estranged from the Lord in our hearts. And that's what Judas had done. He had estranged himself from Jesus Christ in his heart. He began to want the things of the world. And so he was estranged to him. And then when Jesus rebukes him openly, he gets angry and he goes out and he finds a way to get even. Right? That's what this was about. I believe. You, you, can, you can say, hey, I don't believe that. I think he was just trying. Well, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll find out from Jesus when we get there. But it's like, it, it seems a lot more plausible to me than, oh, he's just trying to make the kingdom come. Like, yeah, I don't think so. He was not filled with the spirit. He's exhibiting the spirit of Satan. And it actually says in the, in the Last Supper that Satan filled him, that Satan entered him, literally. Okay, and then he goes out into the night to betray jesus okay he was right there you don't just get possessed you're not just like walking along one day and like you trip and fall on a demon and like oop, i'm possessed right that's not how it works okay i'm sorry but that's not how it works right you give yourself over you know the the, the demon sweet talks you and, and draws you in and you give more and more of yourself open to it you give it access to you until finally it takes control and pushes you down okay that's how it happens so then um, that evening, verse 20, it says, when evening had come, he sat down with the 12. Now, as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. See, now this is, this is a, 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 
it's like raining it all in because before he'd said the son of man is going to be betrayed son of man is going to be betrayed son of man is going to be crucified but it was just kind of like a general thing now he says one of you is going to betray me it'd be like me standing here among all of you and saying one of you is going to turn me over to somebody to murder me and you'd be like uncomfortable right awkward he says, one of you will betray me. Then they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now here's the thing. Look at this though. They believed him. They believed him. Right? They were exceedingly sorrowful. And then listen to this. Each one of them, every single apostle began to say, Lord, is it I? See, and this is a question. This is something that we need to be able to ask ourselves. Lord, is it I? Am I capable of this? Lord, could I do that? Because you know what? Every single one of the apostles had the question. They were asking it, Lord, is it I? It's one of you, one of the 12, one of you who have been with me, who have been attributed with the power of God from on high, who has the authority to cast out demons, who can heal sicknesses, who have been been with me all of this time. One of you is going to betray me. One of my closest people that I love dearly is going to betray me. And they all began to say, Lord, is it I? And you know what? That's the question that every single one of us need to ask. Because you know what? That pastor in the hiding place, or Corey Timboom, you know what? Had he ever asked himself that? Lord, is it I? Because you know what? What he was doing, he was literally turning his back on the people of God. He was literally shaking the hands of a monster. Protecting himself rather than protecting the innocent. Though as a shepherd, a shepherd is to stand against wolves. And if he ended up in that concentration camp and died himself far better than turning his back on people who needed God and needed help. Can we betray Jesus today? The answer is yes. We are all capable of the exact same condition as Judas. Right? We are all walking paradoxes. Right? Sinful people possessed by the Holy God. That's us. Right? There's the two natures within us. Right? But what are some practical ways that we can do this? Okay, well, how about this? Every time we intentionally try to harm or take revenge on one of these, our brethren. Ever been mad at somebody? A believer? And maybe like said some things to other people, maybe in the form of a prayer request that you probably shouldn't have said, and you expose sin to them? Guess what you just did? Jesus said, when you did to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Guess what you just did? You just exposed Christ, right? When you try to take revenge on somebody, guess what you're doing? You're taking revenge on Christ, on the people that Christ died for, right? It's very easy for us to do this, right? Even when we think we're justified, right? Oh, well, you don't understand what they did to me, pastor. It's like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. In the end, you were called to die to yourself. You are called to love, Right? You were called to forgive and to be merciful and give room for God to bring his own judgment. Right? We would be far better to suffer wrong for the Lord's sake than to take revenge ourselves. Romans twelve nineteen and 21 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. That's what we are called to do. That is what we are called to do. Lord, is it I? Lord, am I capable of this? Lord, show me, reveal in my own heart the areas where I am lacking. Show in my own heart the areas where I am capable of harming others. 
where I am capable of betraying you and your gospel and your trust and that which you have entrusted to me. Right, we need to ask that, Lord, is it I? And Jesus, when he, when he, and each one of them begins to ask, but you know, notice who's the last one to ask? It's Judas. Everybody else, he's probably standing there awkward like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And then Jesus says, he who dipped his hand uh, with me in the dish will betray me. Now John, the apostle John, asked Jesus, because Peter's like, ask him who it is, because Peter's on the other side of the table, right? So, so John leans over, he's sitting on Jesus' lap, he, like, he leans over and goes, who is it, Lord? And this is the answer, right? He begins to say, he says, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but, now listen to this, woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed, and this is, this is chilling. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, there are some people who say, hey, you know what? Do you think Judas is in heaven? No. No, he's not. Because how could you say it would be better for him not to have been born? That means not to exist. It would have been better if he never existed at all than to exist and to do this to Jesus. Because why? Because he's going to end up in hell. And not only that, but hell actually has a, a, like distinguishing uh, levels of it. It's not like, oh, you're in level one, you know, toiletries and stuff. And it's, no, it's not like that. But like for how, what you know, you are accountable for. And to the knowledge that you have, if you know your master's will, in Luke twelve forty seven, Jesus said it. And the servant that knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Judas was one of the 12 and blow Satan and like the, the demons who are going to be thrown into hell. He's right up there with the antichrist, right? He had complete knowledge, complete understanding. He was one of the 12 and it would have been better for him never to have existed than to do what he did. Then Judas, who was betraying him answered and said, I kind of, I kind of, I can't help but to like look at this. Like, why did he ask? Why did he ask? I bet it was to fit in. Everybody else asked. Because do you, if you know that you're betraying him, and Jesus just said you're betraying me, one of you, do you really want to ask this question in front of everybody? No. But if he didn't ask, he would have stuck out, wouldn't he? So what does he say? Everybody else said, "Lord, is it I?" What does Judas say? Does he say, "Lord"? No. He says, Rabbi, is it I? Right? That's, this says a lot. He can't call him Lord. He can't call Jesus Lord. Why? Because he's made himself his enemy. Right? He is the enemy of God and either now is or is about to be possessed by Satan himself. See, Judas became the friend of Satan's world. Right? And he gained the appetite of a wolf rather than of a sheep. Right? His heart longed for the things that his eyes could see, his hands could touch, and his mouth could taste. That's what he wanted, the deceitfulness of riches, those thorns in the soil that Jesus talked about. Right? The things of the spirit of the kingdom of heaven became a child's imagination to him. Its reality and glory faded from his heart, which was now as hard and cold as the silver which he had won for himself. Right? That's where he is. And, and like when, when you're in that place, you can't call Jesus Lord. It's by the Holy Spirit that you call Jesus Lord. That's what Paul said, right? Judas can't call him Lord. Why? Because he is like, he, he's been courting the devil for some time now, right? He's of the devil. And Jesus said to him, you have said it, right? How chilling is that? How terrifying is that? 
guys, we need to understand that any one of us can fall into the same path. Anybody here ever backslidden before? Okay. It's just, a, it's just a small step, right? All you have to do is just like keep going. Yeah, but all along the way, God was pulling you back, wasn't he? He's pulling you back, pulling you back, pulling you back. And finally you stopped, you got ground, and you started coming towards God again. But you know what? How many people start backsliding, 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 and then it's a free fall, and they just go, and they're gone, and they never come back. Richard Dawkins is one of them. You know, Darwin was one of them. Voltaire was one of them. How many atheists, people who are extravagantly against God, boastfully against god were once people who sat in children's ministry a lot of them most of them guys we have to understand that every single one of us is capable of this and then in doing that we need to continue to come before the lord and saying lord help me is it i lord what areas of my life what areas of my life have i hardened to your spirit lord Break it up. Break it up, Lord. Help me to go forward. Help me to walk in truth. Help me to walk in your spirit. Help me to love as you have loved. That way we might be able to stand with him and give of ourselves and and, and let our worship fill the room, fill this world with the fragrance like Mary did. That's what we want. That's what we need. But we need to recognize and understand what we are all capable of. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this word. Lord, it breaks our heart, Lord, to see Judas fall. Lord, to know that he is now suffering. And for the rest of eternity, he will suffer. But Lord, we just pray that you would, Lord, keep us from falling. Hold us in the palm of your hand. Lord, rebuke any error that is within us. Open our eyes to our own condition. Let us not assume that we are great and perfect, Lord, but to recognize, Lord, that we too have a sinful nature that desires and longs to be fed. Help us to walk in your spirit, Lord. Fill us, we pray, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. Not just because it's convenient or because it gives us an emotional high, Lord, but we need it like a life preserver when we're drowning in the sea of sin. Lord, we need you. Please come. Come and fill this place. With all of our hearts, we praise you and give glory now. In Jesus' name, amen.